I can't imagine going through that kind of journey and having to stay in the roles as parents without faith. Parenting is a job that requires all of your heart and I think a heart that's filled with Christ so much more capacity and I think that as a foundation then you can deal with anything that comes at you. Hello and welcome. I'm Tanya Reason and this is the Gospel According to Mum, the show where we discuss the transformational work done in us by Jesus Christ as we live out motherhood and discipleship with Him. We continue now with Juanita Webb's amazing story of her journey through cancer and her unwavering faith in God's love and presence. We discuss the creative ways she found to stay connected with her family in spite of the necessary separation. We learn of Juanita's breathtaking revelation as she reflected on her suffering with her young son, unearthing another unexpected answer that deeply informs her faith. I want to ask you about um, the school friends because mm. that tweaked my interest mm. um, with how the goodness of God is seen in those who aren't necessarily believers. Mm. And, and I mean, did you find, were you surprised, did you, did you find that, you know, an equal measure of God's goodness was found in those who weren't necessarily part of the church community? Mm, absolutely. Mm. And it's quite interesting when they know that you are a Christian or part of a church family, mm. they will often say, oh, you know, I think I believe in God and, you know, I'm just on a different plane or I used to go to church. And it's interesting how God mm. will use those opportunities um, for you to provide a testimony or just something good that God has done that you can share with somebody to give them encouragement. And mm. But yes, it... Um, God doesn't favour just Christians. <laughs> no. You know, his favour is on every person that wants to look at him. Mm. Yeah, well, the, the scripture that you brought was Ephesians 2.10. That one particularly struck mm. me. I've always loved that one. Mm. The, the good works laid out in advance mm. for us to do. Yeah. I love that because it, it not only does it imply that, you know, those good works are not yours, so you don't, there's no good work that's going to mm. get you to heaven. God's already done it for you. Yeah. And also, I don't have to worry as soon as I see a good work, it's been put there, I, can, I just pick it up That's and go and do it. But it also means for those who don't believe yeah. that there are good works for them yes. as well laid out. And it's a great leveller, isn't it, when, you are, when you've been humbled, mm. people don't feel so frightened to come and talk to you about what they believe because I guess they feel on a more equal footing. You're, mm. They're helping you. They and are. then it, those conversations kind of... Yeah. Yeah. Did they? Did anything kind of come out of that? Did it sort of flow on for you? Or I don't. I don't think so. Mm. It's interesting how seasons happen, mm. and just like the summer and the winter and the spring and the autumn bring varying changes and challenges. Once that season is finished, it's almost like it never was mm. because the new season is upon you and it looks different. So for all of those people that helped whether they were school friends or church friends or family, once the season was over, I think it was a new beginning. Mm -hmm. And so everybody got back on with their lives that season had mm -hmm. ended. And so then the relationship might have stayed amiable, but not in the same way. Mm -hmm. Like there was no reason to continue with the support or mm -hmm. to offer anything in, um, in in return or anything like mm. that it was just mm. it was something that just happened and then it was finished mm. 
sometimes it's hard to accept that we might just be a drop in someone's life, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. And that's where the relationship with your children is so different. Mm. Because even though people are reminding me constantly, actually, that this is my time with my children is short. <laughs> oh, so short. They're an adult a very long time yeah. compared to childhood. But it's hardly a drop, is it, mm. in their lives? I mean, you're there. Oh, for a long time, you're yeah. always a mama. Yeah. Always a mama. Yeah. No matter. Yeah, no matter what happens. Even when you're a grandma, you're still a mama. Yeah. Your children. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My 86-year-old mother still cooks me meals. Right. Yes, I've got her chicken curry in the <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> like, <laughs> they're always, you're always mother and daughters yeah. or daughters yeah. and sons. And it doesn't matter what age. Yeah, you cannot. <laughs> no. Yeah, and so sort of moving on from 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 that idea and, and this sort of short time that you have and you were in a situation where you had even shorter time during this period in your life because you were whisked away. Mm. But you had ways, found creative ways to mm. speak into a children's life and keep that relationship going. Oh, yes. You do get creative when you know you're going to be away from your kids. Like I was always the kind of mum that put a little note in their lunchbox and mm. stuff like that, all those little quirky, silly things that you do just to make sure that they know that you're there or thinking of them or if you know that they had a bad day last yesterday that, you know, today will be different and better. Um, I just became more intentional, I think, and when I didn't know whether my clinic time would be long or short or perhaps be an overnighter mm. or even a week admission it would just be a matter of writing a little note and or a little chocolate heart with a note and I'll put it on each of their pillows because that particularly if I wasn't going to be home after school or if Terry was picking them up so it just meant that I wasn't there but I was yeah. so even though not in physical presence but um, in thought I was there and then I started writing letters when I was in hospital because you know these were the days before mobile phones came out and there was no video chats I had a phone beside my my bed but you know I had all the time in the world but my husband was at home with two young children trying to get bath bed homework dinner yeah. sorted while I was like can anyone talk you know tell me about your day and they're yeah. like you know I've got things to do places to go people to see right. and so it was really difficult so I started writing letters and so I would just write dear Kayla dear Nathan and I'll just start writing a little note to them sometimes it would go on for days and my son fondly calls them the essays, the right. essays. <laughs> <laughs> because I still when he was in Canada I continued to write these massive long letters over days and days and days was it sort of just things that were happening or did you find yourself starting to well, been impart lots. important things that came to you? Or? No, because I never felt that I was... Leaving. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No, I actually never did, but it might have been somebody that I met or, mm -hmm. you know, another person that I had, had come across or one of my nurses or a visitor that I might have had or mm -hmm. somebody gave me a gift of some sort. So it would just be sharing what my life was doing with what their life might have been doing and then they would write me back and mm -hmm. so um, depending on how long the letter took to write or when the next visitor came I would have this letter written and if I knew somebody was coming I'd say can you just drop it in the letterbox on your way home or on your way through mm -hmm. and so that's how the communication kind of kept going <clears throat> and with Kayla Nathan was eight and it was a little bit difficult for boys mm -hmm. not difficult different for boys I should say and um, but with Kayla we started journaling and so we just got a dodgy old exercise notepad and um, and I would just write a little note or a little sentence or a little 
poem or whatever I was thinking mm. at the time and I'd just leave it on her bed and it would just be feel free to write back if you want to and so if I was home and she wasn't I would read this and respond and so we would just get this dialogue going through this notebook and and she's told me that she's kept every letter every wow. painting every every everything so she's kept it in a box so that she she can see it and look at it from time to time yeah it's, it's amazing yeah it's amazing that you have that i mean maybe this is me trying to see the bright side but when i hear that i see that that the experiences that you missed from being there in the present you have this amazing tangible she has this record of you mm. now that she can hold and she can read and she can go back to always mm. um, that she wouldn't have had had you not necessarily had you not been in this experience I mean is that something that you think you would have done anyway or do you think it was driven by the experience you were going through I think separation drove it mm. yeah that that willingness to be there though you couldn't probably because conversation happens and you would mm. never speak in such intimacy I suppose for want of a different word or at such length because what you can write is so much more rich than what you speak yeah. you know there's no interruptions to your dialogue through noise or intrusions or phones or visitors or anything like that it's just pure thought pen to paper and mm. and when you're in that zone you're only thinking of the person that you're writing to mm. and so that's a really it's a gift. That's a gift. Yeah. And also, you, you're forced to slow down, aren't mm. you? And really consider what you're going to mm. say. And I think probably for the kids as well, it, that would have taught them the same ease of pace. These kids are charging around anyway, aren't mm -hmm. they? And very rarely think about what they're doing. This is true. So you had a chance to... To slow them down as well it was mm. it would have been well they had to stop and read it mm. Mm. Nathan's letters were probably not quite as convoluted as the ones I probably wrote for Kayla mm. but I would write to him exactly the same mm. regardless just asking how his day was telling yeah. him a bit about what I did so they would never be identical it mm. would always be written separately and intentionally to each of my children of course mm. yeah yeah, yeah. And then when you were at home, um, you were still ill. Yes. So it's not like you come home and you're back to being mum again in mm. the same way. I've spoken about this a little bit with my husband actually, about the effect that our own discouragement can have on our family. And I know that you found some ways to enjoy your physical state I mean at that point you lost your hair and mm -hmm. you had some fun things that the kids were able to do oh my goodness losing do you know that in itself you know, I was never much of a shoes and bag girl but I did love getting my hair done right <laughs> <laughs> always loved the hairdresser mm -hmm. and um, and makeup and mm -hmm. I always love that side of so any pocket money I had would be at the hairdressers or right. you know that kind yeah. of stuff and losing my hair didn't really bother me as much as losing my eyebrows and my eyelashes okay yeah so it doesn't just strip the hair off your head it strips mm. it off everywhere so yeah. you're as bald as a newborn babe and uh, one of 
one of the ladies at church used to say, you know, the eyebrows are like the curtains on windows. <laughs> and it's so true. <laughs> so true. When you've got no eyebrows and no eyelashes there, it's just nothing that frames your face at all. Mm -hmm. And even though I'd only had two eyelashes, I would put mascara on them to go into the clinic. <laughs> And they'd be like these two little antennas sticking out from my eyes. That's by glorious. Hook, by, I'm by so hook, glad. I can't have put mascara on those bad boys until they fell out. Yeah, so, but eventually everything falls out. Mm. I had a lovely friend that came and shaved my hair off and and um, when it started to all fall out. And that was, that was quite an interesting moment. Can I ask you, can I stop you there and ask you about the shaving off the hair? Because I had an experience and I know other people have had experiences where there is something about cutting your hair isn't there mm. it's like it's a spiritual dagger somehow mm. and I don't know why I'm sure a biblical scholar could probably find evidence as to why but I mean did was that really hard did you find that upsetting um, I think a lot of my journey affects other people more than it affected me mm -hmm. And I'll say that probably for all of the women that were involved in my journey, I would say the impact on them, where my focus was very much, I had one job to do, and that was to go and get my treatment and recover mm -hmm. and be well. And so I just had to go and get my medicine. That was my only job in amongst all of this. Everything else was taken care of. Mm -hmm. Terry was looking after the kids, people were looking after food, shopping. I just had one job to do. Is that something you told yourself? No, it just it just came to you. It just yeah, it was just what happened because I had no option. It was okay. every day going in for clinic. It wasn't like once a week. Mm. So go in once a week and then you can resume your normal routines. This was every day, day after day after day. So I had Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday girls. And so everybody would be responsible for picking me up and taking me in. Some would stay, some would um, leave and then come back and pick me up and I would just meet them out the front. Um, it just depended on what their routines were, but they were committed 100% for seven months. Like, mm. that is such a huge commitment. Yeah. So when I actually asked my friend to shave my hair off, um, I think for her it was really hard. And I think at that stage, it was like when the porter cath went in, you know, that was a delivery device that they use for uh, in, in putting in, in infusing the the hush medicines because mm -hmm. the small veins it was just too too much to go through the small veins so uh, the portacath went in and I remember thinking you know this all makes it real so shaving off the hair um, means that this is a real thing now I really do have cancer and I really <coughs> do have to have chemotherapy and I really am a cancer patient and this mm -hmm. is really sucky and. You know, it just makes everything really real. Yeah. The kids got used to my new look, so I never covered up my head, um, except when I was cold and I put a hat on. Mm -hmm. I had plenty of um, scarves donated to me and headwear and hats and all sorts. So um, instead of doing my hair, I would do my hat, mm -hmm. my scarf, and I included the kids and said, what am I gonna wear today? What goes well with this outfit? And so my kids were involved in, in styling my head look <laughs> and um, and matching earrings to go with oh. because I had nothing on my face so yeah. I had to put earrings on and then when we were home in private the kids got excited and they put Nathan made me into a mohawk and put um, little uh, you know bow and arrows with the yeah, sticky the things at the end caps, yeah. yeah and so he would <laughs> he would lick the end of the suction cap and he would place them on my head and um, I actually got some good photos I should show you later um, and 
Kayla and some friends, um, the smaller um, children, uh, did some tattoos, some, so those little uh, temporary tattoos, mm -hmm. and they with flowers and hearts and oh, stuff like that. And so yeah. that would make me beautiful that way. So, mm -hmm. um, so for them, it was well for me. I guess it was normalising what my mm. this was. This is a normal thing to do, and and so it doesn't matter that I have no hair. Yeah, um, this is yeah. all okay. And it's also a, a loving. Mm. gesture isn't it it's a way to help your children see that you're still mum and you know yeah yeah, sure. yeah no, I, I get the impression that that you felt God was with you the whole way mm. um, but there must have been moments where you thought oh did you find did you ever feel that God that you needed to find God in times of discouragement or was he right there with you were you concerned about the effect that your mind, your discouragement might have? I mean, was that in your mind? I don't think I ever felt that God had left me hmm. through that whole journey. But there was moments when I was really sick and I was in bed and I thought to myself, Lord, if I have, if this is what it takes to get well, just take me to heaven. <laughs> so I actually, yeah, so that was probably more confronting for my husband than it was mm. for the children because I don't know that the kids heard that bit but um, actually just the whole thought that oh my goodness this is horrible do I really have to endure this can't I just go to heaven <laughs> like this has got to be easier but it's all just you know you know it comes from emotion it comes from tiredness and fatigue and and the feeling of chemical yuck in your body mm. when you don't eat and your taste buds are going and and you become selfishly insular <laughs> like it's mm. you know it does become about you in those moments but thankfully they didn't last long you know God was very gracious and I never had too much nausea fluid so part of my treatment meant that I was having it's called intrathecal chemotherapy and it's where they uh, put a needle into your uh, spine and inject chemotherapy into the CSF to, mm. to kill the cancer cells that are running through there and that can give you um, a headache if you get a little leak yes. um, and it feels like you, you, you can't that um, it's like cabin fever in your head and so I just want to lie down all the time it, the pain goes away when you lie down mm. but other than that the head just aches so a couple of moments like that and I think what I really disliked most about those is that it stopped me from engaging in the parts of my home life that I would have preferred to not have a headache over. Yes. You know, anyone that suffers from migraines, it must be so debilitating mm. to think that, you know, I just can't function with this. I have to go and lie down and go into a dark room and I'm really sorry no one's eating tonight because I can't lift my head off the pillow. Yeah. And that kind of stuff when you're already very family time poor mm. is just another interference or another another reason why you can't be where you want to be. Mm. And um, But it was all temporary. But at the time it was miserable. You know, even though no one else can see what that is it does those moments you do feel robbed of quality time i mm. guess it's not so much time because time i didn't think was an issue i didn't think my time with my family or my friends were short but the quality was not there you know the mm. quality was removed from my life and i thought well that's really awful mm. you know i don't mind having chemotherapy but can you just make it quick and easy 
it yeah. doesn't work like that. Yeah. It's just you've spoken about how cancer will is greedy and mm. it will take everything from you and mm. it has no remorse obviously mm. and it will just suck your life away if you mm. let it, it literally mm. and how that helped you to see what what you valued most mm. but my question would be through all of that experience do you think that it revealed to you what God values most mm. Mm. God valued me most. The verse that always throughout the whole journey was Jeremiah 29:11, and it probably sustained me right through the whole the whole lot. And it was that this will not be the end of you. That I have a purpose and a plan for you, plans to make you prosper and dwell and be fabulous. And so that you know that was just a constant reminder that it didn't matter where or what stage he was going to bring me through this. Because mm. mm. that's that's something that we don't often talk about, although I'm starting to see that it, it's whispered quietly in, in corners of churches mm. where actually being a Christian doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a wonderful, charmed life where nothing ever goes wrong. No. Actually, sometimes quite the opposite. But the glory that we... Mm. receive from that is that maybe glory is not the right word the, the glorious thing mm. that we receive and see in that is yeah. that um, God is with you in the furnace yeah I mattered most mm. didn't matter where I was what, what, what was going on I mattered most mm. my family mattered most and he was everywhere all at once he was with my kids with my husband mm. with my church family it wasn't your arms and legs, but he was there providing arms and legs for them. Absolutely. Mm. And he was with me every step. Mm. He was with my doctor. He was with every nurse that accessed my portacath, every every radiographer. It, it didn't matter where I was, I mattered most. He was there. Mm. And so how did you, did you find at the time, or do you see now that you can reconcile the way you were, was the way... It, it had to be. I mean, we, we have ideas, don't we, about how this is how I should be a Christian and this is how I should evangelize and this is how I should be a mother and this is the, you know, pieces of wisdom that I should impart. But when life happens to you, it's it's sort of taken out of your hands, isn't it? Maybe, do you think maybe it's never in our hands? Uh, I don't think it's ever in your hands. I think, I think it doesn't matter what you do or where you go, it doesn't... God's love for us and for our families is not based upon who, what we do or who we serve or how many good deeds we do or how often you go to church or miss church. It's, it is, do you love me? Yes, I do. You know, that, that's all he cares about is, is, do you love me? And yes, Lord, I love you. Mm. And that's, that's your number one job, is just to love him. Yeah. It sounds like you just answered his question that he asked you on the roundabout. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it popped back yeah, into my mind. Right. It did sound yeah. like that you just answered that. Yeah. So right at the end of your journey, mm. you, you've told me in your notes a story, and I'm going to read it out mm. because I think it's important to hear what, what you said. Mm. 
You, you've been through this terrible treatment and you said to yourself, no matter what happens, if the cancer returns, I'm not ever going to do that again. Yeah. And then your son said to you, but would you do it for me? Would you do it again? Would you do it again for me? And your answer was, yes, of course. I would do it again. I feel as if, when, when I read this and hear your story, I feel as if that was the most important part of your story, mm. is that moment that, you, that you, you answered that question. The scripture that you brought was 2 Timothy 4, 6-8, the Passion Translation. And now the time is fast approaching for my release from this life, and I am ready to be offered as a sacrifice. I have fought an excellent fight. I have finished my full course with all my might, and I have kept my heart full of faith. There's a crown of righteousness waiting in heaven for me, and I know that my Lord will reward me on his day of righteous judgment. And this crown is not only waiting for me, but for all who love and long for his unveiling. And you've talked about the victory, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 57, the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. It seems to me at that point, that your vision was entirely God's vision when you said that, because we all want to stay alive, don't we, in this life? But I, uh, there's another victory, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. But that's not in your choosing either. <laughs> isn't it funny? Regardless of whether you choose to live or die, it's still not your choice. Mm. You know. And um, but yes, when when Nathan said. Would you do it again for me? I was just like, oh, really? Oh. <laughs> Kids. <laughs> yeah, because in my mind, I'd already said to the doctor, I said, I'm never doing this again. No mm. more injections, mm. no more follow-up, no yeah. more parodying and poking. I just mm. had enough. And then when Nathan said, yeah, but would you do it again for me? I'm like, a yeah, hundred times. Yeah, it's funny, you know, mm. I said that after my first was born. I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sexually, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. But you do, you do amazing things for your kids. Walk over hot coals, stand in front of buses. You know, you would. Yeah. yeah take yeah. one for them. Yeah. Just yeah. to stay with them. You just to stay with them. Yeah. But doesn't that, doesn't that just show us all of this, all that we've been through from from Genesis and before? God must have known that we would eat that apple. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> um, that what lengths he will go to just to stay with us. Mm. Yep. And you've your life has created that picture. Mm. So I'm going to ask you a question, mm. and. It's a question I think everybody shies away from because it sounds callous to ask. Mm. But in all of that suffering, mm. do you see the goodness of God? Yeah, I'm alive. I have to make you ill. Ill to make to you make better. you well. Yeah, that's right. Mm. And to be away from my kids a short time in order to be with them a long time. Mm. And that was what my oncologist said, that, you know, we've got a a good chance that this will cure you, Mm. but it's going to be tough. I never really knew why I signed consent forms until after that. (laughs) 
I'm like, oh, this is why they signed the consent form. Oh, that was awful. <laughs> yeah, I'm not doing that again. Yes, I'm like, wow. Yeah. How awful. Mm. But, um, yeah, God had so many miracles in there, like the stem cell transplant. Um, you know, even harvest stem cells. Like, never underestimate the power that God has. If he, if he works, he works like, like, mm. like it's, you know, I remember the doctor saying, well, we can only harvest your own. Like, we won't need to use a donor if we can harvest enough of your own. And I'm like, oh, okay, how many do we need? And he said, well, it's usually a, a two-course day and we have to do it at this particular time after the second cycle. And I don't know, like when the moons align and the stars are in planets and, you know, tides are up and I don't know, like it had to be at this particular sweet spot. Anyway, I'm like, okay, and how many do we need and all that kind of stuff. And it was a two-day collection, one after the other, and I, two arms were cannulated and centrifuge was drawing off blood and separating it and then the other one was feeding it back in and I'm like, I don't, gosh, this is a bit convoluted. It was just remarkable, like the... They could only do it for half a day because there was something going on with the machine, and and uh, and I'm like, oh, okay, well, we'll just do what we can do and collect mm. what we can collect. And anyway, sat there, did what I had to do, went home and all that kind of stuff, and went in the next day and and harvested again and again. Only needed for half a day. It was a quick draw and all that kind of stuff. And then they said, um, and I said, well, how did we go collection-wise last time? Uh, have we got enough? And they said, oh, yeah, we didn't really need this, but we thought we'd just collect it anyway. And it was like, I don't know how many we needed, but it was like 50 billion more than right. what we actually needed. And it was just like a glut of my own stem cells. I still got them on the freezer. So when God puts his mind to making things right, even though you're journeying through the hard stuff, they're the winds that you can see God's hand on. It's like, okay, so we need stem cells, right? There's your stem cells. So it would just have a million, them. billion squilling of them, yeah. That's right. And yeah. I said, gee, what a waste. I said, can you give them away to somebody else? And they said, no, we can't. It's unethical. So I'm like, oh, shame. Yeah. <laughs> Why could I have so many? Sure the accountant and me yeah. immediately, hang on, I might need them. Oh, that's right. Oh, my God. That's my so goodness. terrible. Oh, that's true. And that's why they keep them on ice for mm. you, just in case. Yeah. But, you know, 15 years later and I am well, you know, I... I did have a 18 months where my immune system was a bit slow bouncing mm. back, um, but again, a little bit of a treatment every month um, kept me going mm. and, you know, returned back to what would have been a normal life before it all happened mm. and, and it feels like maybe I had mumps for two weeks mm. in hindsight, like yeah. the, the actual season probably affected, like I said earlier, affected a whole lot of other people much more than it did mm. me. My focus was just on getting in, getting my medicine, getting better. Yeah. And then resuming my life yeah. that God had preordained. And so, yeah, 15 years yeah. later, and I look back and I go, wow, I, it just feels like a blimp. That's amazing. Mm. Because I was wondering if there was a sort of a fallout period afterwards mm. where you, you know, like Noah immediately goes and plants a vineyard. And mm. has, a, has a glass of wine. <laughs> yeah. After all that, you know, mm. I always feel like that's a sort of a, a cool down period for him. But I mean, you were brought through. You didn't feel like there was a moment where you had to just sit down for a minute and think about what just happened. Or mm. I, I did. Like it took me a little while, and they said up to five years to feel back to your old self. Mm. I 
was so thankful to be alive and to be well and not have treatment that investing back in people you know that quality time mm. going back and spending time with people that had helped me you know spending time with my family because when you undergoing cancer treatments you're often isolated and you can't have visitors because you're yeah. going to catch every sneezy bug and stuff known to man and so being isolated wasn't just physically it was like well it wasn't just you know because you were having treatment but it was because even though you were there you shouldn't be there because children have germs and yeah. <laughs> can't get close being able to touch your yeah children. that's right and even visitors having to you know gown and glove up and mask mm -hmm. up and stuff like that so there was a lot of separation and I wanted to regain that physical contactivity again and that was what I was really enjoying mm. <clears throat> but interestingly for my husband his view of my wellness meant resuming back to life as it was which was resuming back to work and resuming back to where we had left off meant that I was no longer sick in his eyes so his mindset was, if I go back to the way things were, then that means I'm fully well and that he can then mm -hmm. relax. And then he has reassurance that I'm no longer sick and that he no longer has to worry. Yeah. <laughs> so I think for him, for a lot of people, I think watching from the sidelines must have been incredibly agonising mm. and worrisome and just just uneasy i think men like to make sure that they're looking after everything and again it was out of his control so of course when yeah. you're a mother you're a part of of a team you know and yeah. and they're very important when it comes to parenting and, and raising children and mm. even the role reversals that that it created you know must have been very challenging for him because the different roles that, that mothers and fathers play in the kids' lives and when, and when kids are asking for something but for the father that may actually really not have any idea of how do you do that and then all of a sudden they're asking these requests and, and, and I think that must be very difficult. You know, it does take a, a, a really good team to get through something like that and I'm, I'm yeah. ever so thankful for God for him. Well, it's an opportunity for for learning too yeah. in that relationship. I've seen it with my husband as well, where we've had to do different swap duties mm -hmm. or whatever. It's a chance for him to, to it, it, you see each other more mm -hmm. clearly, don't yes. you? Because you're looking through their eyes. Yeah. Yeah. But I think when you get to the end of it, sometimes it's, it's okay to like, whoa, tools down, so oh, back yeah. to you again. You know, yeah. like, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. tried it, don't like it, not buying it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And also, as you say, a return to what's normal means everything's okay. Yeah, that's Everybody's right. Everybody's squared away. That's right. That's, yeah. Let's just carry on. That's right. Yeah. And so, you know, I don't, I don't think he looks back so often. Um, and I try not to. You know, 15 mm. years goes really quickly. Mm. But always, every year, thankful for another year. Yeah, it's not a place you'd want to stay, I imagine. No. No. Yep. Yeah. Some aren't afforded such beautiful miracles as me. Yeah. Mm. But I've got to see my kids grow up and become adults and have their lives and, and things and their plans and, you know, mm. the stuff I missed out on doesn't matter, mm. you know, because yeah. at the time it mattered, yeah. but in hindsight, you know, taking Kayla for that, not seeing that prom dress means I get to see a wedding dress. It's a price I'm willing to pay. You are just, you, 
Oh, you're just making biblical references all over the place. I don't know if you're aware of it. But when you said wedding dress, because the thought that's in my Mm. mind is when God, when we left the garden, God must have known, and we're his children. Mm. And this model of motherhood and parenthood is a gift from him, I think, for us to see him. Mm. And so when you, you are heartbroken, for those moments that you missed. I have to make you, I have to be sick, I have to go away, you have to go away for me to make you well. Mm. And well is our our form when we return Mm. to God. And what you said there about it won't matter, the things that I missed won't matter. And then the wedding dress, of course, and Christ and his bride. I mean, it's just all over. (laughs) (laughs) You're just, you know, just speaking Bible, aren't you? So spiritual. (laughs) I know, but but yeah, it's right it's there, isn't it? it I is, mean, absolutely. You're saying it normally because the the picture is there, mm. you know, and it's so hard for us to see right now, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But it is there, mm-hmm. and we can hold on to that. Absolutely, it's the faith. Mm. It's the faith journey. Mm. I can't imagine going through that kind of journey and having to stay in the roles as parents without faith. Parenting is a job that requires all of your heart and I think a heart that's filled with Christ has so much more capacity Mm. and I think that as a foundation then you can deal with anything that comes at you just think I couldn't possibly imagine what the journey would have looked like without Christ in it Mm. I'm glad you didn't have to yeah me too (laughs) me too we have an amazing picture there from your life and um, I'm so grateful that you are still here to share it with us and tell mm. us about it because what a blessing mm. to see to see you and mm. your family, your lovely, lovely family. Mm, thank you. Met. And yeah. Oh, thank and you for inviting me in the conversation. It's been mm, it's been emotional to talk through it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for thank inviting you. me and I hope the listeners out there might I resonate with some of it. I'm sure they will. Give them some encouragement. Some amazing things in there. Thank you so much for your time. Pleasure, Tanya. Thank you. Thanks for listening today. You can find out more about the show, our guests, and subscribe and download through all our channels by visiting thegospelaccordingtomum.com. My next guest is Jessica Taquinio. Jessica came to faith through motherhood after opting for atheism as an alternative to her Catholic upbringing. Her amazing encounter with God started a journey back to the faith of her childhood and an about face on her perspective on her role as a mother. In the meantime, be encouraged, friend, and remember the God who taught you to love will not leave you as you walk with Him more and more at your own pace. I'm Tanya Reason, and you've been listening to The Gospel According to Mum. Till next time.